Daniel Levin is a storyteller and his book The Mosaic is a groundbreaking work in the tradition of the alchemist and the Celestine prophecy that invites you to see the world from a new point of view one that focuses on what connects us to each other and brings us happiness he left just one day before becoming an oriented a rabbi in Jerusalem Israel and then lived 10 years as a monk in a monastery in the foothills of Sierra Nevada mountains he was also the director of business development at Hay House and played a big part in helping it grow from 3 million to 100 million over the next 10 years hi this is apoor hey this is arish we have been learning ways to bring harmony in different aspects of our lives such as mental health physical health financial health along the way we noticed more and more people were keen on learning from us Each week we discuss topics like mental health focus social skills to help you better navigate through life so join us in this podcast as we navigate through the many complexities of our modern life Thank you Daniel for coming on the podcast and thank you all the listeners for tuning in It's an absolute honor Arish I look forward to it and you live in a land which is one of my favorites India Thank you that that makes us feel so good. So you have achieved some phenomenal things when it comes to self development inner peace. You lived uh, you have meditated for every single day for the past 45 years. You also lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. So let's take a step back and help us understand what happened that led you to on this journey of self development. Irish when I was a boy I I was people would look at my father and I as we walked down the street and they would chuckle or laugh or just smile because I was just an exactly the same smaller version of him I would hold him in his I would hold him my hand would hold his ring finger and we would walk and we walked in the same ways our bodies were this looked the same our uh faces looked very much the same but i was just you know 2 feet tall and he was 6 feet tall and so he was the one i looked up to the most growing up and when he passed away at the, at the age of 13 at, for me when i was only 13 years old my life completely changed and i didn't understand why someone who i love so much would be taken so randomly from me and what i ended up doing arish is i ended up making up a story around why my father passed that i could understand because the one that happened i couldn't understand i couldn't understand why someone that i love so dearly would be taken taken from me with no with with seemingly no purpose. And so I made up the story that he passed away because I didn't wake up before he went on a on a trip. And uh I told him I was going to wake up to to give him a hug before he left at four o'clock in the morning and I overslept. And uh 4 weeks later he passed away while I was away at camp. And so my not waking up had nothing to do with his passing but in my mind i gave it that meaning so that i could give a cause and effect 
reality to life because otherwise it had no cause and effect. I didn't know what had happened to make my dad just suddenly be gone. And what that, and what that did is it drove me to try and understand things that most kids my age weren't even thinking about. We were, most kids were playing sports or doing, or get, or just getting involved with girls or just wanting to get good grades. Um, but I really wanted to know what happens in life and how something like that could happen. And so, and it was only in writing my book, The Mosaic, that I realized it because my mom then passed away two years later on the exact same day. And when I asked the adults where my parents were, they told me they were in a place called heaven. So as a kid, 15 years old, I set out to search for the place called heaven. And that's the story I, I tell in a fable version in the book, The Mosaic. And I believe it's about a character called Mo, right? Yeah, yes, Mo is, Mo is the central character. And he goes on this journey, exploring and meeting new people and asking questions. Yes, he really, for heaven. he really, he, he really didn't even ask for people for heaven. I think he, I think in the book as in real life, Mo thought, which was really me, me thought that I was just going to meet the people that would give me answers to the questions I had. But the people I met in the book and in real life were common ordinary people. I, I met a road worker and a homeless man and a garbage man and a gardener and a waitress and a juice man. And I wondered, why am I meeting these people? How are they going to show me heaven? And I said, but I'm here with them. I might as well listen to the stories that they tell me. So I would just ask them how they are and what, and, and what, what they were doing. And over time, I just listened to them tell me the stories of their life. And in 100% of the cases, Arish, the person that I left was an entirely different person to me than the one I came upon. Because now that I heard their story, they were not who I thought they was. And so when that happened over and over and over and over again, what I realized is the world that I see is not the world that is, it's just the world that I see. And as soon as I had that realization, I looked to my right and I saw a monk unzipping the sky and inviting me to walk through the sky into a parallel reality where I met the wise one who was the keeper of the mosaic. Probably a hard concept for many people to understand, but um, that's what happened to me. So along this journey, and even in your blog posts, you talk about making the right connections in your life yes. and breaking and make uh, letting go of the ones which are not serving you well. How do you make this distinction and how do you make a purposeful connection? Um, it, it's really easy. Buddha, Buddha said the cause of all suffering is wanting things to be other than they are. And the cause of all happiness is the acceptance of things as they are. And off, all too often what I see when I speak with people or I work with people is people will tell me if only this thing was different or if only that was different, if only I had more money, if only I had a better job, if only I had a woman to be with, if only I had a man to be with, if only my mom loved me, if only my dad. Um, all of those ifs are not what's real. And when you... 
when you first of all accept what is there and you let and for me when i was able to let go of all the things that kept me from just enjoying what was right in front of me suddenly everything changed we have a world that lives right in front of us we have the most beautiful creation ever that wants to come into us every single moment it comes to us in the simplest of ways that's the beauty of the characters in the mosaic you wouldn't necessarily think that a homeless man would teach me so much you wouldn't think that a trash man would be able to give me so much knowledge and so much joy and and revitalize my entire being but when you let go of the preconceived notions of what you think they are and just allow them to be who they are and give you what they want to give you everything in life changes everything in the world is speaking to us when i wrote the mosaic one of the things i realized is i was trying i based the book on my life and so the characters were characters that i met so i was trying to write what they had said to me when i had met them sometimes years before or sometimes when i just met them in my mind's eye when i created them to write the to write the story but what happened arisha something really interesting they wouldn't let me write what i wanted to write they kept erasing my my files they kept just corrupting my files they kept losing my files and it took me two and a half years of of trying to write it and them trying to take it away them write it try and these are these are characters in a book that i created Finally, I said to the characters, "What are you doing? Like, why do you keep why do you keep corrupting the files? Why do you keep erasing the files? What is going on? What are you trying to say to me?" And one by one, they came to me as if I'm talking to you right now. So maybe this is a mythological conversation we're having. I don't know. You're in India. I'm in Cal and California. <laughs> it could be. It could be mythological, right? But I think it's real. Well, in the same way, they came to me. So it wasn't like I was channeling entities or things like that. It was that they were real and they came to me and they said to me, Danny, we don't want to say what you're writing for us to say. We want you to listen to what we're saying. And when you listen to what we're saying, that's what we want you to write. Arish, what that showed me is that everything in the world is actually speaking. If we would only take time to be quiet a moment and just listen, we would hear everything. We would hear we would hear characters that we made up in a book talking to us. We would hear people that we pass on the street talking to us. We would hear the wind as it blows through us talking to us. We would hear what COVID nineteen at this at this particular moment in time is saying to us. And so, what I what I really want to invite people to do is let go of everything they think is real because one of the messages of the mosaic is nothing is as it seems nothing is as it seems and go beneath what you think it is and try and find what's actually there take everything you believe and let go of it and allow this fresh new energy to come into you and see what happens and you also talk about the importance of listening and how how each time we talk to someone and genuinely listen to them it changes us and you believe you strongly believe 
that if we just listened there wouldn't be wars there wouldn't be hunger there there wouldn't be conflict yes could you elaborate more on the importance of listening it would be my honor um the greatest gift i've ever been given is my daughter she is the most beautiful beautiful individual i've ever met and it just so happens my daughter is developmentally delayed my daughter can't speak like you and i speak people don't understand her when she tries to speak people don't understand her and yet she has something to say she really is trying to say something and because i've been with her so much she's now almost 30 she's now 30 years old because i've been with her over the course of 30 years i've started to learn nuances in the way she says things and the way she she tries to express herself that i understand more than most people but i don't understand everything arish and sometimes she'll say something and i don't understand it and what she'll do is she'll she'll say it louder she'll scream it and it and to her credit it it sometimes when she says it louder she changes her pronunciation just a little bit and i get it but most times not most times she's just now screaming something that is i can't understand and when i can't understand it and she's screaming the next thing she'll do is she will throw a tantrum and it could be in the middle of a restaurant it could be walking down the street it could be at a friend's house it could be sitting home and alone it could be while i'm giving her a bath it could be any number of places it could be while i'm driving in a car she'll throw a tantrum and it, it is just so it so hurts my soul to see her get to that place but when her tantrum doesn't even communicate to me or when she's not able to get me to understand what she's saying through her tantrum then what she'll do is she'll try to attack me she'll run she'll run towards me she'll try and rip my shirt she'll try and bite my arm she'll try and do something to hurt me arish first of all what i realized is every single person i meet whether they run governments and that i've worked with leaders in government or whether they run companies because i've worked with ceos whether they work in companies because i work with the employees in companies whether they are part of a family because i work with families every single person does exactly the same behavior as my daughter elisa when they speak and they don't get heard they yell when they yell and they don't get get heard they try and create chaos they try and create a disruption they try and do something out of the norm and when they their disruption doesn't work they try and destroy something that could be blowing up a building it could be shooting people in a in a square it could be trying to ruin the reputation of a of a doctor or or a family it could be ruining a marriage everybody does the same thing and when you retrofit it back all that's missing is the fact that they don't feel heard and here's the beautiful thing finally after 15 years of this happening often with my daughter sometimes as many as 5 10 15 times a day finally i thought i was smart enough i reached but i i guess i wasn't smart enough to do it finally after all that time i said elisa i love you so much can you please try to tell me what you're saying without using your words because i just don't understand your words try it try telling me a different way and from the midst of her rage she got this big smile on her face a smile that would melt your heart in just one second and she said in perfect english i am daddy and i said what do you mean you are daddy what do you what how are you doing that 
And she took her forefinger and she put it to the to the side of her head. And I understand I understood from her gesture that she had been putting thoughts into my mind all along, telling me what she wanted to say, because she couldn't say it with her mouth doesn't mean she couldn't say it with her mind. And I said to her, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head all this time? And she started hysterically laughing and laughing and laughing. And she said, yes, daddy, yes, daddy. And we, and we started laughing one after another in a contagious laughter that went on for probably five minutes, even though it felt like five years. And do you know from that moment, Arish, she's never, she's never yelled, she's never tantrumed, and she's never tried to attack. Because now when she doesn't feel heard, she just puts her finger to the side of her head, or I'll say to her, put your, put, just send me a thought. And she communicates through her thoughts to me. We need to find a way to listen to people that we can't hear. In, in my life, I've had the opportunity to be amongst the richest people in the world, to sit in their homes, to have dinner with their families, to enjoy them, get to know them, sit around the dinner table and talk with their parents, with their children, with them, and just walk with them as friends. And I've had the opportunity to sit on street corners with the poorest of the poor. And their homes were just a cardboard box, maybe not even. And you know something, Arish, the one thing I found that every single one of them, no matter how much money they had, no matter how big their home, no matter what color their skin, no matter what religion they practiced, no matter what border they lived behind, no matter what they did for a living, every single one of them wanted the same thing. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. They wanted to be acknowledged and validated. And I realized that I could do that for people. I could give them that that they wanted. I didn't need to be in uh, have a college degree. I didn't need to be a part of a religious organization. We can all do it, Arish. We can just we can just take time and just love and accept each other, listen to each other, and hear what each other is saying, acknowledge and validate them. But you know, I'm 65 now, Arish. And that one time in those 65 years that I've been alive, has anyone ever said to me, Danny, I want you to agree with me? Because when I've loved and accepted them, when I've acknowledged and validated them, when, I, when they felt listened to and heard by me, they understood that I had the right to my own values and I had the right to, to believe what I wanted to believe. But we could still be friends because I was there for them. Does that make sense? And does it answer your question? That is a powerful thing to know. And it was something that is really profound to hear. That kind of leads me to ask uh, about two of your major projects that you were working on or are supposed to be working on. One is uh, your uh, mosaic project. And the other one, you were planning to travel the world I believe in May 2020. Yes. May uh, I made a line in the sand May 1st to leave. And in Judaism, they have a great saying. They say, man plaids and God laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> and so I had been putting off this trip because when I was 18 years old, I hitchhiked around the world. And I, I, it was the freest I ever felt. I love doing it. But now that I'm older, my body doesn't feel like the way it used to. It has pains in it and aches. And I'm not an 18-year-old kid anymore. And so 
I had this, when I finished the book, just like I listened to the characters, when I finished the mosaic, the mosaic said to me, okay, now it's time for you to go out on the road like Mo and just walk and travel around the world and talk and sit and listen to people and just do what, do what Mo did and let people get, get to listen to the people that are voiceless listen to what they're saying and and give them a chance to express their voice. Well, I finally, I said, May 1st is my cutoff date. I've been delaying it. I've been doing all sorts of things. I was looking for sponsors. I was looking for car manu- cars to sponsor me, hotels to sponsor me, restaurants to sponsor me, places to sponsor me, money, to, you know, to do it with money. And I said, this is a, this is just my fear talking. What I really need to do is I just need to get out there and do what I've got to do. And so I made a date, May 1st. And it turns out May 1st was in, it has, it has been in the midst of a, of a global pandemic where people have to use social distancing. <laughs> and, yes. so, and so I can't help thinking that the God that is, that she's having a good time laughing with me. This beautiful God that's in the world that is saying, okay, really? Is that, you, you really think you're in control of this? Just listen. And so for now, the trip is on hold. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a documentary. And mm-hmm. I wanted to film the voices of the voiceless. And origi- originally, I thought that would be the downtrodden. Those would be the people that that have been told their voice doesn't matter. Those would be the people that are that are homeless. Those would be the people that have no chance to really have a voice in the world. But what I realized is about three months ago, I was doing some work and my wife said something to me and I said, yes, I think that's a great idea. And she looked over to me and she said, Danny, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? And I said, I said, you're right. I'm so sorry. I was just concentrating on something else. She said, I don't feel like you listen to me sometimes. So it was my wife that was voiceless in those moments. It was my kid who is a who is a round peg that lives in a world of square holes where the school tries to fit him into a certain way of doing things but he doesn't work the way other kids do. And so his grades are not good and I asked him why your grades aren't good and he said because they're trying to get me to be something I'm not. And I don't want to play their game. I don't think they I don't think they listen to me. They don't hear me. And then I talked to CEOs and companies and I said to them, Do you feel like your voice is heard? Do you feel like you're able to run your company and people hear what you're saying? And they said, Are you kidding? We I can't even say half the things I want to say because people are so sensitive. They won't be able to deal with it. And then I talked to the employees in those companies. And I said, do you feel like you're able to say what you want to say? And they said, are you kidding? No, there's not, an, there's not a culture of trust in this company where if I say something, I think that it could be used against me later down the line for someone to try and get the job that we're both seeking. And so I realized the voice of the voiceless, Arish, is, is not just the homeless or the people that have been told their voice doesn't matter. It's all of us. And so what I wanted to do is go to government offices and go to schools and go to businesses and go to street corners and go to dining room tables of the wealthy and ask them if they had one thing to say to the world, what is it that they would want to say? What would the one thing that they could contribute to the world be 
if they could tell people what to do right, what what they would want to have this world look like now. And I thought it would make an interesting docu-series. Definitely, definitely it would. Even I'm looking forward to it. Whenever Thank, that you. Thank you. When I come to India, we'll walk around together and do it together, okay? Definitely. I am really looking forward to that. I'm not really sure if you're still working on this other project. I think it was called the Mosaic Mind or the Mosaic uh, Collective Mind. Yes. I, I believe the idea was to kind of use the collective consciousness of the people to solve global problems. Yes. Yes. Is that is that something you're still working on? Uh, the two projects were walk hand in hand with each other because the main one of the main reasons why I was going on the trip um, to talk to people was we live in a world of about 8 billion people right now. And most of those people have no say in the world that they live in. In America, the constitution that we live by starts with these three words, we the people. I don't, I've never lived in a we the people world. I've always lived in a we the, we the rich people, we the white people, we the northern people, we the educated people, we the Christian people, we the Muslim people, we the Hindu people. I've never lived in a world where we, the people, become like a mosaic where we are one together. And my dream was to try to end suffering by bringing a we, the people world together. And so on, I met up with some people who were trained in one of the top universities in, in America, Stanford University. And they uh, were working with AI not in the way people normally work with AI. They were working with AI to try and see if they could use AI to create a way to make the human mind work better, faster, smarter, take more risks, make more bolder decisions, and come together. And what they noticed was that species that were less intelligent than human beings species like bees and, and fish and birds worked in a collective mind. When you watch birds fly in a fly together, it looks like they're flying in a, sh in a, in a form where they're following a leader, but they're really not following a leader. They're, they're, uh, they all know how, where they're going and how to move together so that they can stay in perfect formation and not miss a beat. When you see fish swim in a school, you see the same exact thing happen. They move as if they're one collective mind moving them together. They move in a swarm. When you see bees, what happens with bees is they have to every year rebuild their hive. And, and they're not intelligent enough to know where to rebuild their hive and where it's going to be safe. So they send thousands of bees out into thousands of different directions, and they all come back into the swarm. To, and, and that you can feel, you can see them vibrating and and, and resonate. And like um, you literally feel their body bodies vibrating against one another, trying to get the, the bees to move in the direction that they're moving in. There comes a place in all of those interactions where their opposition falls away and you, and there's a place where there is no opposition. 
And they call that swarm intelligence. I call it the mosaic mind. And so what these people have done is they've created these algorithms that allow people to come into virtual rooms. And they're using it very successfully in, in events that have a conclusion. For instance, um, they're using it in America for sporting events like the Super Bowl or the Kentucky Derby or the Academy Awards. Who's going to win the, these awards for, you know, movies? And they ask the S experts who's going to win. And they ask the just regular ordinary people, a group of them to come into this room and, and predict it. So they asked 40 people who knew, who, 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 their only connection to horse racing was they said they liked horse racing. They weren't professional gamblers. They weren't handicappers. They weren't, they didn't own horses. They didn't go to the racetrack and bet all the time. They just said occasionally they would like to watch a horse race. And they brought them into a room. And in the room, there was an octagon. And on the octagon were the horses running in the Kentucky Derby. And they asked, and in the center was a, was a puck. And they said, we're going to, when we tell you to go that you're going to have your, your, your mouse on your computer at home is going to be a magnet that draws that puck to the answer that you choose. But before we start, we want you to answer each one of you on a, on a piece of paper next to you, who's going to come in first in the Kentucky Derby, second, third, and fourth. And by the way, the chances of you getting this right, just so you know, are 586 to 1 against you getting it right. They said go. They asked who's going to come in first, who's going to come in second, who's going to come in third, who's going to come in fourth. And you could see there was a little bit of the, the magnet moving in different directions. But then at a moment, some at a certain moment, all of them, all of the magnets pulled the horse to one of the points on the octagon. Well, do you know that a $20 bet on this on this experiment with the 40 people produced an $11,000 reward? They picked the winners of the Kentucky Derby first, second, third, and fourth. So I thought when I first heard that, well, obviously some some people knew what was knew what they figured it out. But on their individual cards that they had wrote before they did the experiment, on their in their in their own homes, not one person picked the horse to come in first to come first. Not one picked the one to come in second second. Only one of the forty picked the horse to come in third to come in third, and nobody picked the horse to come in fourth fourth. So individually, they had no idea, and they actually did not make the right decision. But collectively, they made the right decision. So, and they've done this numerous times, uh, their predictive analysis as, as using this technology has been way smarter, way better than experts in the field or, or leading people in the field. So I went to them and I said, that's great if you want to just make money, that's fabulous. But I wonder if we could use this technology to bring people together and to answer problems that exist in the world, problems like hunger and homelessness and poverty and global warming and disease and sex trafficking and inequality. And they said, we would love to do that. And so what I've been looking for, and it's really just like another, it just isn't the time, the gates haven't opened for it yet. 
but I know they will, whether it happens in my lifetime or somebody else's. I've been looking for what I call the minority of 1 billion people. We have 8 billion people in the world. 7 billion are going to hear what I'm saying and think I'm just an idiot. I'm crazy. I'm some sort of communist. I'm some sort of whatever. Who knows what they're going to think? I, I really don't care. But there's going to be a, a small minority of people, 1 billion maybe, that are going to say, you know something, the way the we're doing things in the world isn't working now. Look how COVID-19 has exposed many of our, many of our systems. It's bankrupt uh, our countries. It's, it's putting us in economic craziness. It's, our healthcare systems need to be reformed. Our education systems need to be reformed. The way we work needs to be reformed. The way we relate to each other needs to be reformed. And in one moment, something, that, something as small as an invisible virus has completely transformed the way we work in the world. In, in that same one moment, Something as invisible as collective consciousness can do the same thing. Something as invisible as love can do the same thing. We just have to start to see it and understand it. And I know over the course of time, when, the, when people come together, we are stronger than we are when we are on our own. In America, at least, we all grew up with a saying, united we stand, divided we fall. Why are we living in a divided world? Why are we living, creating more and more division? Why don't we just come together and unite and look for ways that bring us together rather than separate us? And I believe this is a step forward because you are miles away. There's a... <laughs> Uh, I I believe you are around sixty five. Yes. I am not even half that age right now. Yes. So I I think this is a step forward in the right direction. Good, good. So I'm hoping that so smart a, young bucks like you will pick it up and take it on. Yes. So uh, as a as a final thought, what is your advice to us to the final young bucks? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what, in my travels around the world, I was struck most by a homeless man that I sat with one time and I sat with him and I asked him of all the things that you would like to say to the world, what's one thing that you think would make this world a better place? And he thought for a moment, but it was really only a moment. He, he didn't think for too long. And he said, I would like to ask everybody to take 10 minutes out of the course of their life and just go up to someone they don't know and ask them how they're doing and just listen to the response. And I said to him, Corey, out of all the things that you could do, why would you say just that one thing? Like, what's so important about that? You could have said, I wish there was more food in the world. I wish there was shelter for people. I wish people would stop fighting. Why did you choose to say that? And he said, Danny, about four weeks ago, I was sitting here and I was thinking, why am I even alive? People walk by and they kick me and they punch me and they spit on me and they yell at me just because I'm homeless. And I'm thinking, why, why be here if I'm bringing so much discord to the world around me? And I decided that evening when it got dark, I was going to go around the corner where nobody could see me 
and I was going to end my life. And that two minutes after I had that thought, a man came up to me and he put his, his hand on my shoulder and he said, how are you doing, my friend? And I started to cry. And tears came pouring down my face and I said to him, not well. And he sat down next to me and he listened to me. He listened to what I had to say. And Corey looked at me and he said, Danny, you know, it took only about 10 minutes. But after those 10 minutes, I could no longer go around the corner and kill myself because somebody now cared enough about me to take the time to actually see how I was doing. He said, that man has no idea that he actually saved my life. Well, Corey has no idea that he is the guiding presence behind my, my idea to travel around the world and just listen to people. And he has no idea that on every podcast I go on, I, I, I ask people to spend 10 minutes and just ask somebody how they're doing and listen to them. What would the world look like if we took 10 minutes out of the course of our lifetime to give our attention wholeheartedly to someone we never met and just allow them through the process of our listening to feel loved and accepted, to feel listened to and heard, to feel acknowledged and validated. I think the world we live in would be a different place. I think there would be no more yelling. There would be no more tantruming. There would be no more attacking because we would feel like people took the time to want to know what we think and listened. I hope so too. And this has been a really profound, magical experience. And I hope all our listeners also feel the same way. Thank you so much for doing that. I have uh, two websites, danielbrucelevin.com, and we'll put those in the show notes. And the other is themosaiconline.com. And in there are all the social media places. In there are all the, the ways to email me. Um, it, and I really hope people will just reach out. This, this is what I'm here for. I'm here to give people who have never been heard a chance to be heard. I hope you'll send me a video with what it is you want to say so I can include it in the documentary that I want to make. Um, and, and just a short video. Just tell me what it is that you would wish people would say. And we'll start collecting those in part and start to edit them into a into a, this docu series that we want to make. So you are not voiceless. You are not alone. We are together. We feel you. We love you, and we need you in our in our mosaic. Thanks a lot, Daniel. My honor. Hello, guys. Thank you all for listening. If you did like that episode, share it with people who you think will benefit from listening to it. If you have any comments or suggestions regarding this episode or any of the previous episodes, you can drop them to us at info at the charming You could also drop them to us on any of our social media pages, the links to which will be posted in the show notes.